Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. I'm sorry it happened. I'm sorry to Nevada. I wish Ricio had never called me. I've spent nine years making no excuses about anything. I am sorry. Mr. Simpson, I do vote to grant parole when eligible. Thank you. What's good? Welcome to the best 60 minutes of your day. When he's released as early as October 1st, O.J. Simpson will have spent 3,218 days in prison. His parole hearing this afternoon our day's top story on the six. It felt like 1995 all over again this it afternoon. It did. Everyone all huddled around the TV. Uh, as you just mentioned, just a few hours ago, a Nevada parole board voted to release O.J. Simpson from a Nevada prison, possibly as soon as October 1st. The decision was unanimous to release the 70-year-old Simpson, who has served the minimum nine years of his original 33-year sentence for a 2008 armed robbery involving two sports memorabilia dealers in Las Vegas. I think it's fair to say emotions around O.J. Simpson's release in 2017 don't run nearly as high as when he was acquitted of the murders of his ex-wife, Nicole Brown Simpson, and her friend, Ronald Goldman, in 1995. But what is your reaction to O.J. being granted parole? Exhaustion. Like, I, I, honestly, I've had enough with this story, um, at, at least in the way we consume it or the way we push it. This, this is a ratings grab for sure, because mm-hmm. it reminds me of uh, Jamie Foxx in uh, Django Unchained. Like, I'm curious why you're so curious. Like, what is our fascination still with O.J. Simpson? And I think it's really because the court of public opinion is still in session as it relates to that double murder trial. You know, um, the trial of the century continues well into the 21st century, even though he was acquitted for that double murder. And I'm just like, you know what? Let's just move on from all things O.J., and let him move on with the rest of his life. What I hope we don't see, I hope we don't see paparazzi photos of him at a golf course. I hope we don't see reality TV shows. I hope we don't see, you know, uh, a a bunch of different appearances and interviews and this type of thing. I'm here for the conversations about what OJ says about us as America. That's why the documentary Made in America was an Oscar award-winning documentary, available live on the ESPN app, by the way, if you want to rewatch Ezra Edelman's fine work. But just the whole fascination with him and what he's doing, Go spend that time with your kids you talked about missing. Go work on your faith that you talked about. But I don't want to see any more of OJ. Although I would be here for seeing him Instagram a picture of him riding in a car, listening to the story of OJ by Jay Z. That's probably what I like to. Well, get he did from say him. that. That's about it. You know, he has some computer training in prison, so yeah. maybe uh, we'll see OJ on. Seventy years old. Move on with the rest of your life. Well, it's a. You're right. It's a difference between letting go OJ, just the individual, the mm-hmm. person. Um, but I don't think that we will just because of what you said. It, it's through him. He's been a vessel yeah. for now 20 plus years in which we are to have some very uncomfortable conversations. I say arguments. OK, you're right. You're right. Because conversation it's a reason implies, for us to get upset about race and the criminal justice. And conversation implies is. that you're listening to both yes. sides of this. Yes. Right. And, and we know when it's when it comes to race, uh, police brutality, which was domestic also violence. domestic violence, that those conversations tend to get out of hand quickly. But it, it was interesting that you mentioned off top that it felt like 1995 again, because usually um, not usually, but a lot of times we can look at historic events and we can point to what's changed. Mm-hmm. Okay, we can look at, okay, this is different than what that used to be. We can point to some level of progress. It really has been done. 
And when we think about the conversations that we were having then, the fact that now we've advanced, we've advanced in in, in a very dark way in the sense that the conversations we were having about police brutality, right, obviously still around today. And we have cameras catching police officers doing the types of things that sort of led to OJ's or where at least like Rodney King. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Rodney King started sort of engineered what led to an, an acquittal of OJ Simpson. And now today, look, nothing has really changed. And so um, for me to see uh, to see everything kind of stay in place was kind of a statement about like, where we basically are. Basically, like the more things change, the more they stay the same is what we're getting at. And for and for me, I'm just like, you know what, if we want to learn from, you know, the mistakes as it relates to what produced OJ, again, made in America, what, what he says about our country, what he says about our society. That's one conversation I'm fully for. But in terms of just well, what's OJ up to, where is he going? It's like, like we got to we got to turn our attention to more important matters than just this sensational story that is OJ Simpson. It's like I watched it today and I kind of felt I was like, why am I watching this? Am I watching it because of my job to watch it? Am I watching it because I'm in- actually interested in watching it? I hadn't thought about what O.J. was doing in prison, whether he was a model prisoner. I don't even care about that. So I certainly don't care about what he does with the rest of his life. Well, you might be in the minority as far as that's concerned. Uh, now, no. while many legal experts predicted O.J. Simpson would be granted parole, a lot of us were taken aback by how defensive Simpson sounded <laughs> at times during his parole hearing. Take a listen. So you believe that the property was yours? It's been ruled legally by the state of California that it was my property. I've basically spent a conflict-free life. And I've never had an alcohol problem. I'm no danger to pull a gun on anybody. <laughs> you know, I never have in my life. I've never been accused of it in my life. All right, we now welcome in a pair of gentlemen who have been spearheading some of our coverage of O.J. Simpson. All afternoon. All All afternoon. You guys have been on TV all day, and you'll be on TV following us, correct? Uh, Further dissecting. (laughs) It is also my understanding. (laughs) Okay, so that's your job. But are you as tired, Jeremy, start with you? Are you as sick of discussing O.J. in terms of the character as I am? I'm I'm here for the the intellectual conversation, but not his whereabouts. Yeah, Howard and I were talking about this on the air a few hours ago. As we were waiting the decision from the parole board, we've been talking about this for 23 years. Um, now, granted, it went away for a long time. Nobody was talking about O.J. Uh, really for most of the time he was in prison or even in the years leading up to his incarceration. A lot of the interest in what's going on now is because we did this big documentary series, mm-hmm. which was so compelling. A lot of it's about the FX scripted series based on the Jeff Tubin book. Yeah. So, this is a particular moment in time that's different, a little bit different than it would have been four or five years ago. Um, you know, the world has changed around O.J. as well. You know, he's going to be free now, but he's still a felon. He's still on parole. Uh, the hedonistic lifestyle we saw him indulging in in the years before he went to prison, between his acquittal and going to prison, he's not going to be able to do that or he's going to find himself back in prison. We might see a different OJ now and whether or not that's important is a different question. I certainly understand any exhaustion anyone's feeling about OJ at this point. Um, But he's going to have to lead a different kind of life and he's 70 years old. Yeah, I think there's a different conversation here. I I think that there are a few different parts of this which makes OJ so compelling. You can take an uh, you could make an argument that the 
all of the different conversations that we have that are very unheroic and that are very uncomfortable, that we don't like talking about, whether it's race and class, whether it's the justice system with money, the justice system without money, whether it's domestic violence, whether it's celebrity and fame, yeah. O.J. is the hub of all those of, of that wheel. He's the hub. Just take us. Just take one selection and you can bring it back to OJ. I think also the reason why people are fascinated by this is because they're fascinated by their own lives. When you think about what are your moments as an adult, this was one of the biggest moments for a lot of people. It was one of those where were you moments. And also, one of the things that we were talking about earlier is that for all of the things about our culture that we we like, don't like, etc., O.J. spawned a lot of this. O.J. spawned court TV. O.J. spawned the 24-7 news cycle. O.J. spawned a lot of this. And, and, and a lot of the people that we're talking about, this is a seminal moment in American history. And this is one of the reasons why we can't get enough of it. And I think also the other reason is from a fame standpoint. On the one hand, you've got race. On the other hand, you've got fame. And in the middle, you've got a guy who got away, the people believe got away right. with murder a lot along of both of those lines. Yeah. And, they, and, and he's the guy where it all comes together. He's the lightning rod. Well, and, and the getting away with murder part is, is what's fascinating about it, because it seemed impossible to have the conversation or to observe today's proceedings without viewing it through the prism of Nicole Brown and Ron Goldberg. That's what it's all about. Well, and everything he said, like, hey, I, I, I've never pulled I've never a weapon on I've somebody. Right. A, Everybody's thinking about, well, hold on, dog. Like, we all saw the evidence if, if that the prosecution dropped the ball. If 1994, which, which we all wish had not happened, had not happened, we wouldn't be here obsessing about O.J. Simpson if he'd just gone to jail for armed robbery. Well, I would go one it's step further, Jeremy. Great. I would say, I would not to interrupt, I would also say if those four officers in Simi Valley, had been convicted, I think O.J.'s behind bars. I really do believe that. I think that there was so much lack of accountability and so the lack of trust that that well, jury LAPD had even with, even on, on the even LAPD. With, and even with Mark Furman, though, and even, with, even with the prosecution missteps, you still think he's convicted? I think it might have been close enough, mm-hmm. but the resentment that people had toward the LAPD, they got no benefit of the doubt. They didn't even get to look at him and say, okay, rotten apple, but I still believe in the... Yeah. Done. Real quick, uh, what were your impressions of O.J. watching him today? Because he still seemed very much delusional in some respects. Well, like when he talked defiant, talk, defiant yeah. like well, he was trying to retry his case well, in I front think, of a parole board, yeah, exactly. which is usually not what you're supposed to do. Well, and it goes back to what Jeremy and, and Ryan were talking about earlier on, on OTL, is that if you're following the letter of the parole agreement of, of those guidelines, then his demeanor didn't matter. Because the question really was, did he fulfill what he was supposed to fulfill while Correct. behind bars? Correct. However, if you are looking emotionally and if you want to see contrition, you didn't see that today. Right. You saw a guy who was actually going back to the details of a case that has already been settled that put him behind bars. There was nothing about what I saw from him today that made me say different guy, older guy. Not, Not different, different. guy. In the way he kept talking, yeah. long-windedness, yeah. which everybody will tell you is exactly what you're not supposed, supposed to, to do. do. It, it indicated to me, and we don't want to extrapolate too much based on, you know, 45 minutes of testimony, a guy who felt he could still charm anyone, he yes. could still yep. convince anyone. You know, the guy who sat down and, without a lawyer, talked to the police mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. after the murders because he figured, I'm OJ. Right. Yeah. 
people want to believe That confidence, right. that arrogance. That but ultimately, habit. based on the system, and it's funny how people support the system or celebrate the system when it's convenient. Oh, right. trust the system, except when it doesn't work the way I want it to, wherever you are. Based on the system, it was the right outcome today. But if you look at it like, hey, he should be under the jail for getting away with those double murders, there's a lot of people sick to their stomach. I personally am just sick of him. Not the conversation. Hopefully the conversation can continue (laughs) to be productive. You guys aren't done talking about this, right? 7 o'clock ESPN. (laughs) You look so excited. (laughs) You look so excited. Jordan Spieth, a bogey-free 565. He shares the first round openly with Brooks Kepka and Matt Kuchar. Only hit five of 14 fairways. But 15 out of 18 greens in regulation. Five birdies, that'll do the trick. Yeah, way to compensate for that. It's hard to go wider wire, as always. But if anybody, I say, if anybody can do it, it's him, considering how good, as you said, he is with lead. Especially with Friday's weather forecast. Way to get off to a strong start. Um, also strong. Jason Day's kick game. You see that? That's not what the internet said. I don't care. Whole outfit, really. I feel for the folks, to your point, who weren't feeling the joggers with the high top J's. He also shot I don't mind it either. I don't know why everybody on the internet was giving him grief about it. Looks kind of slick and stylish His to wife me. liked it. That's all that matters, right? You Precisely. Because yeah. his wrist is fine as well. Good to know. I know uh, you don't care what the wife thinks about some of your outfit choices. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, Le'Veon Bell. He had a rather interesting take about how he should be valued as a player. Uh, He said, I feel like I should be valued as a player, not so much my position. I'm arguably the top running back in the NFL and the number two receiver on the Steelers, even though I play running back. Does he have a point, Mike? Is this the ultimate deserves got nothing to do with anything? 100 yards rushing, 50 yards receiving per game. First person in NFL history to do that. He's right. But the system allows him to restrict his movement. Mm-hmm. Open market, he'd be paid as such. Mm-hmm. But if I'm the Steelers, I'm like Bill Withers. I'm using him until I use him up, tagging him year after year and getting everything out of him. Ike Taylor's right. He shouldn't show up because right. he's not in the contract. He's taking him out of holdout. Yeah, I remember Jimmy Graham tried to make a similar argument before. The Warriors, they will offer personal seat licenses when they open the $1 billion Chase Center in 2019. The number of seats dedicated for season ticket holders will decrease from 14500 to roughly 12000 after the tickets will come with a per-seat cost of 15000 or less. What you got on it? Per, yeah, right. First <laughs> NBA team to do this, right? Yeah. If any NBA team can do it in that market with totally that team. Totally, they can. Because you buy this, you know, you're probably more often than not signing up for a win that night when you go. <laughs> you know, and, and most of their players, I believe, will still be under contract at the time. Hey, Tim says that the Wolves are working on an extension for Andrew Wiggins, eligible for 148 over 5. It will kick in in 2018. As they should. Yes. I need, look. You sound a little skeptical. No, get your money. Okay. But they need to get more out of him. He's not been the defensive player in particular. That's fair. That he was supposed to be coming out of Kansas when people like you were upset at the Cavs for trading him. I've definitely seen some offensive growth, though. I mean, he's, yeah. he's coming along as a player. Still very young. But I, need, but I need Jimmy Butler to get more out of him defensively. He needs to take the next step for them to take the next step. All right. Uh, speaking of the association, it seems like an interesting bidding war has broken out over Derrick Rose. Sources told ESPN that Rose is in serious talks with the Cavs to join the defending Eastern Conference champs on a one-year contract. Meanwhile, Ramon Shelburne and Chris Haynes are reporting that Rose is also meeting with the Lakers and USA Today man Sam Amick reports that Rose will pick a team this weekend and get this the Bulls are in the mix Why? so what's the, I don't know but what's the best fit for Derrick Rose well, I mean I guess the Bulls interesting for him being from Chicago having his Son there and, and that they, sort of thing, but that's, he'll that's definitely what, get plenty of plans. <laughs> yeah, that's well, how many point guards? That's why guard Foreman they got those billboards up for right, guard Foreman in Chicago. Guard, yeah. But but between the ones that make sense, if not 
a difference in dollars. I actually like him better with the Lakers because yeah. they can offer him more minutes and more money. But I just feel like the Lakers, just them being on, on, on the upswing and, and him being able to give them uh, just more firepower. They need to win more games. They need to stay out of that two through five lottery pick range anyway. But if they're trying to you know, reinvent or, or reintroduce a winning culture, winning atmosphere in L.A. By the way, he's been working out at the Lakers facility lately then I would like to see him go there, help Lonzo Ball and those boys bring the Lakers back, as opposed to going to Cleveland, where he's just another guy on the Cavaliers. I mean, if you'd have told me in 2011 that he'd be on the same team with LeBron, I'd have, I'd have thought you were crazy. I wish I'd have gone back in time and bet money on that. But 289th out of 291 players with 50 or more three-point attempts. He's not the shooting that they need or no. the defensive presence that they, that uh, they need. No, not exactly. But I guess what probably burned in my brain is what little production – uh, the Cavs got from their bench in the postseason, and surely Derrick Rose can help with that. I mean, especially when you look at what Darren Williams gave them, which was practically nothing. Yeah. Derrick Rose would definitely be a serious upgrade. I guess it, a lot of it depends on what does he want at this point in his career. Uh, he obviously never was able to get over uh, the LeBron, never able to beat the Cavs himself when uh, he, him and Joakim Noah were there. So is it about winning or is it about, uh, as you said, maybe going into a different situation where you won't win as much as you would in Cleveland, but you'll play a lot, but you'll play a lot more. Play a lot more and, and be a part of building something versus, hey, let me just jump on this team and, and get to the finals. I mean, look, for I wouldn't Cleveland. consider it that, though, because I think the Cavs could use him. Oh, yeah, yeah. but, but they, they could use him. But I, I think he's I think he means more. Understand what I'm saying? I think he means more to the Lakers and their process right. than he does to the Cavs, because I don't think he brings them any closer. He's just he's just another guy that is cycling in and out. I don't think he brings them any closer to taking down the Warriors. If you want to look at it from the LeBron or the Cavs lack of activity perspective, something is better than nothing. And he's still an 18 point a game guy, 10 points per game in the paint. But he doesn't change how I view that team as much as. He would change how the Lakers mm-hmm. are able to do things this year. Again, two through five important for them next year. To the person who runs the Blazers Twitter account, bravo. And if you ever want to come and work for us, DM us. Meanwhile, keep up the good work. After a Lakers fan tweeted that they'll never be on a Lakers level, the Blazers account replied, true, we made the playoffs the last few years. I laugh. I laugh. <laughs> Meanwhile, I've been saying for a minute that Melo should take the Blazers seriously. Forget the photoshops. Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum say they've reached out to Melo to sell him on the Blazers since the Knicks can't seem to get a deal done with his preferred choices, the Rockets or the Cavs. I spoke to him um, because obviously he makes us a, a better team. <laughs> he makes us a, a better team. So, I mean, obviously with with that being out there and that being a, a real possibility, I don't see why I wouldn't wouldn't reach out to him and, and let him know that the interest is, is mutual if he's if he's interested in us. He can help us a lot. We can help him. I know he wants to play in the playoffs and be competitive. Um, he's a very talented player. I think when we get him, when we get him, <laughs> you know, speaking into existence, I think you know, top three in the West, easy. Speaking into existence. Yeah, but that 41-41 and 41 yeah. record last year, that AC misleading, because once they made the trade for Yusuf Nurkic. Yeah, they were a different team. Different team. And he was obviously injured in the playoffs. Do you have a different opinion on this? The last couple of days, I kept saying, Melo, broaden your horizons, expand your list, look at Portland. You were dismissive of it. I was, not because it doesn't make sense. It makes all the sense in the world. I was dismissive of it because Melo is not about that life. He's not going to Portland. He's locked in on Houston and the Cavs. I mean, he might, at this point, he might believe in the banana boat more, more than any of the banana boat brethren. But I don't think he wants to be in a small market. As he has proven before, he likes things his market. way. God, I, Look, gotta... I know, I, and that's not an insult to Portland. Portland's a really good city. 
But Melo wants to be in New York. Melo wants his money. But and he'll I, go to Houston or Cleveland. I, I, and I know that's where LeBron and Chris Because Paul that's are. where his friends are. But if you want to play meaningful basketball, it's like this. Look, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right about that. Ultimately, what, you can't. Go ahead. What? I don't mean this as a dig. Go ahead. But it's going to sound like a dig. What about Melo's decision making has ever led you to believe he's about meaningful basketball? To this point. Everything you said over the years of, our, of us discussing Melo has come to fruition. You're right about that. But I think at this point in his career, I think he's sick. I, I think he's sick of the Knicks. I, he loves New York, but sick of the Knicks. But he's Personally, not sick enough. He's not sick and tired enough so because you, he won't open it up. Only point I want to make is you're talking about the market. Okay, playing, playing on a Knicks team that's losing versus you could be playing in the playoffs. This could be you, but you're playing. Like, he could be in Portland Playing for a team that I don't know about top three. I mean, obviously it's Houston, Golden State, no, they, San Antonio. They're right they up. Make they're some right noise. in the mix. They can make some noise. So wouldn't you rather play if you're him? Wouldn't you rather? <laughs> fine. Uh, like, you I, would, Mike. You're wouldn't you rather sense. play with with those, that backcourt and that big man in the playoffs than say, okay, but at least I'm, I'm in New York and I'm doing it my way. But I'm but I'm home watching the playoffs every year. If the other op- options don't work out, you got to look at this. If they can make this I'm happen, I'm not so sure how much that really bothers him. I think it does more than you believe. Really? That's what, yeah, that's why, he's open to, that's why okay. he's open to going to Houston. Uh, what, yeah, because they already got a little super team they're putting together. This could be almost super. Count six, first degree kidnapping with use of a deadly weapon. A fixed term of 15 years. With- that was at most a two-year crime dripping wet. The judge in that case held the jury out until 11 o'clock. On a Friday night, 13 years to the day of O.J. Simpson's verdict on October the 3rd. That, in my mind, was not a coincidence. Now that was a scene from Made in America, which is streaming now on Watch ESPN, with one of the most memorable figures involved in O.J. Simpson's murder trial, Carl Douglas, a member of Simpson's legal dream team and Carl Douglas he joins us now on the 6 to give us his perspective on OJ Simpson being granted parole today after serving 9 years in a Nevada correctional facility. Carl, what was your reaction to OJ Simpson being paroled? Jamil, I was pleased because it seemed to me that justice had been served. For him to be there 9 years for this crime, I thought was an abomination. And it's important to realize that he had been given a parole hearing in 2013 when he was went up on seven of the 12 charges. They granted parole then, and he had the remaining five charges today. He had been indeed, as he told you, a model prisoner. He took up computer class. He had always advised younger guys to try to just do your time. And so since there had been no write-ups, I was very hopeful indeed confident that the the commissioners would do the right thing and would release him in october carl this was anything but a routine parole hearing uh for obvious reasons a lot of media attention and maybe i'm just in this bubble because obviously we did the made in america documentary that ezra edelman did uh we were all sitting around watching this because it's part of our jobs but i wonder will people be able to move on with the fascination at 70 years old 23 years removed from the double murder trial now that he's been paroled, will people ever be able to move on with their fascination with all things O.J. Simpson after today? Or are we going to go back in time again and follow his whereabouts and reality shows and interviews and this, that, and the other when it comes to O.J.? 
Mike, I understand your frustration, and it seems like we're never going to get enough of O.J. Simpson. The FX series did a great job of just recapturing some of that time. And then, as you've noted, the 30 for 30 show brought it back to a new generation. I think for some reason there's been a perfect storm, man, of crime and celebrity and class. And then the overpowering energizer of race has always been something that has been unsettling. I dare say that if O.J. had been accused of killing his first wife, God forbid, I wouldn't be on this program right now. There would not have been over 200 media at the parole hearing. And you and I would not be talking about O.J. Simpson even now. Yeah, I'm good with the conversations about what it represents, whether it's race, class, the justice system, that sort of thing. I just wonder, is O.J., basically what I'm getting at, is O.J. going to go quietly? Or is he going to try to capitalize off his fame? Or is he just going to spend time with his family and not, you know, turn up every time you look? I would suspect that now with his being 70 years old, that's really a sobering time in a man's life. Having spent nine years in jail really causes him to think about his life and to appreciate how much he has missed of his family and his close friends. I don't think you'll be seeing him hosting some talk show. I don't think you'll be seeing him doing some kind of webcast or podcast. I think at the same time, I don't think he's going to cower in some corner somewhere. He's still going to go out. And when he does, I suspect there'll be some people with attitudes against him of a negative nature. But at the same time, there'll still always be some, I think, that will want his autograph or will want to take a selfie with him. And still for that, he'll yeah. still enjoy and, and have memories about that. That's yeah, right. I for, forgot we've become a different society. We can't yeah, since he went in there. Yeah. yeah, for his sake, I hope he doesn't return to the Miami OJ that we saw where it was all sorts of shenanigans. Or else he'll return to prison. Right. Uh, yeah. Carl, thanks a lot for joining thanks us. Thanks, Carl. Appreciate we appreciate it. you, man. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. All right, uh, George Best, All By Himself, is our next 30 for 30 film, and it premieres tonight at 8.30 Eastern on ESPN. As one of the best soccer players of all time, he found pop star fame for Man U at the age of 17, but but success on and off the pitch can only last so long. As always, you can catch it streaming live on the ESPN app. And our International Champions Cup coverage continues tonight at 9.30 Eastern on ESPN, Manchester United. Uh, takes on Manchester City from NRG Stadium in Houston. Also streaming live on the ESPN app. Y'all yeah, getting old. <laughs> you Josh just figured McCown, this out? He's not getting old. He's getting better. <laughs> 15th year in the league. Got a lot of experience that he brings to the Jets. Started with the Cardinals back in 02. He played for the Lions. I think I met him when he was with the Raiders, if I'm not mistaken. Right, right, Josh? That's right. Panthers, the Bears, the Bucks, the Browns. And now he's in line to start for the New York Jets. As a matter of fact, Josh, and thanks for joining us. One of my favorite tweets from you, uh, your daughter had Jersey Day at her school. You tweeted, she don't have enough friends for all the jerseys. Yeah. <laughs> Two were missing. You know, what, what's it like on your family, though, and on your personal life when you've moved around as much as you have? Right. It's a credit to them, really, to my wife and, and to, my, to my children to be able to be so supportive to allow me to chase this dream. And, and, uh, and so I'm very thankful that they've been along for the ride. We've celebrated Christmas in a different living room for 10 straight years. And wow. so... Our tradition is to kind of have no tradition, you know, mm-hmm. and and uh, and so that's a fun thing for us. Um, they've been troopers and uh, really, really thankful for them. 
Well, you're not only obviously experiencing the NFL, you're experiencing being in some very interesting situations in terms of the different teams that you've been with. No different with the Jets. A lot of people look at the Jets and say, oh, they're just trying to tank. The T word. Yeah, they're using that pretty openly. Uh, What's your response to that? Well, you know, you hear it thrown around, but for the guys in the locker room and and our focus, it's not that way. You know, I mean, we come to work and you put in a a hard day's work and, and especially what we did throughout the spring. That's not in your mind. And, Does it bug uh, you guys? I think I think if you pick it up, you know, if, if, if you hear guys talk about it, it doesn't get talked about a whole lot, but but it's it, there's certainly some motivation there for sure. But uh, that's not our expectation. And um, there's too many guys in that locker room and too many young guys coming in that you're trying to show how to do it the right way. That um, that that's not in your mind. You, you we're going out to work. We're going to compete. Uh, I plan on playing the best ball that I can play and that I've played yet. And, and there's other guys in the locker room that feel the same way. And so um, that's our mindset moving forward. So that's, that's not in our vocabulary. As a competitor, you know, in your starts the last three years, I'm sure you know this, 2-20, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. how sick are you of just losing? Oh, uh, it's, yeah, I mean, it's hard, you know. And, but I think all of them I've learned in those situations. I've learned, you know, through the things I've gone through. And, and uh, it, it, it's, it, it can take a toll on you, but, um, but it's also been a test to see, you know, how resilient, resilient can you be, you yes. know. I mean, uh, nobody, would, nobody would say, hey, man, I hope I can, I can go 2-20 and 20 in these next 22 starts. But if it falls that way um, through different circumstances, uh, you, you, you have to own it and you have to move on. And um, right now the situation in front of me is with the Jets. And so, uh, so it's like, man, I, I think I got to – I won a bunch of games this year to kind of tilt that the other way. And yeah. so that's my mindset. You said a second ago that you consider it part of your role to mentor young guys. Uh, you have a couple young quarterbacks, obviously, on the roster with Bryce Petty and Christian Hackenberg. They faced a lot of criticism. And, in fact, you even being there has become an indictment of what they don't have. What have you seen from them that maybe we don't even know? Well, I, I, see, I see these two young guys come to work and work hard every day and, um, and put the time in. Uh, they both got the physical skill set to play the position. Uh, so it's just a matter of them learning. And like with a lot of young players and a lot of young quarterbacks, it's hard when you change systems every year. So um, so for me, it's trying to help them grasp this system the best they can so that they, when they play, they can put their best foot forward. Because I've gone through that. I've changed offensive systems every year of my career for 15 years. And so literally? I know, I, I, literally. And so every I, year? Every year. Every, every, if you want to take it back, I've changed offensive coordinators every year since my junior year of high school. Oh, my goodness. So, so um, but we don't have to go there. But my point, <laughs> look, my, my point is this. I'm, I'm impressed you had a coordinator in junior yeah, 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 yeah. No, You'll be coaching my, immediately when you stop playing. Yeah, exactly. No, but my point is, like, give these guys a chance, and hopefully they can stay in the same system. And, and I know that's not – that's not how it is all the time, but especially coming from college because the game, it's fun to watch, but it's so different. And, and so what we're getting when we get a young quarterback from college versus what we get in the pros, uh, it, it's, it's almost two different games to a degree. And so you can evaluate what they can do physically, but what they can handle mentally is, is really hard. And so trying to help them, you know, speed that learning curve up as best possible. Different living rooms at Christmas, 15 Offensive systems. And one lost to Rocky. <laughs> I couldn't read, I couldn't read lost. My bag. I couldn't I, read that all the time, I, I, right? I one lost to Rocky. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I my bag. You should, for the corn toss, you should say, I must break you. You probably should. I know. Should. I know. Yeah. We need to bring that this year. That's going to be the edge for us. All right. Thanks, that's the crowd. Thank you, man. We welcome in Texas Longhorns coach Tom Herman. That must still, does that still feel a little weird? <laughs> to say? <laughs> I don't know, weird. It, it definitely feels a, a bit surreal, you know, uh, knowing that I was a graduate assistant coach there 
17 years ago, you know, running around doing the, the grunt work, and now I'm back as a head coach. Six times in 11 years you've yeah. moved your family. What's that like for your family? You're grinding. You're probably sleeping at the office a lot of days. Yeah. But what, what's that like for your family moving that much? Uh, it's awful. It's, it's not real fun. Uh, I've got an unbelievable wife, and, and Michelle and our kids are uh, kind of used to it. And so uh, the, the, the flip side of that is, is when you finally make it to your dream job, you, know, you, you, you start looking at houses and you start looking at neighborhoods and you're not worried about uh, can you sell the house? You're worried about is this your dream house? Is this the place where, where you want to raise your kids for, for a long, long time? It gets tough, and uh, my kids are at an age right now where it's, it's nice to know that uh, if things go according to plan, uh, we'll, we'll be there for quite some time. You guys are used to adapting, like no most doubt. coaches are. <laughs> no doubt. I don't need to tell you how big of a deal Texas football is, um, but obviously it's been some down years uh, recently. You used an interesting word. You said that Texas football needed to be rebranded. What did you mean by that? Well, uh, again, I mean, in the last seven seasons, uh, four of them have been have been losing seasons at, at Texas. And so uh, we needed to make sure that the University of Texas was a cool place to be, that kids uh, that grew up, the kids that we're recruiting right now, to be honest with you, uh, they barely know who Colt McCoy is, let alone Vince Young and, and that generation. And so uh, and even the kids in state. That kind of makes me sad. Well, I, I know, I know, and, and it, it ages us quite a bit. But uh, the, the Texas that they know is a lot different than the Texas that we know. These days, as you just mentioned, uh, these kids you're recruiting and even some of your players, like they, they don't have any attachment to, say, a Vince Young. They don't know who that is. So with doing things like you did with the grill and other things that you've done to put Texas kind of out front again, is that a requirement for today's coach, do you have to do that? Is it necessary to connect with recruits and also to your players? I, I don't know that it is. I, I think, you know, there's a lot of different ways to recruit. There's a lot of ways to skin a cat. There's a lot of ways to build relationships. Uh, the thing that really I take offense to is sometimes when I read that, it's, that some of that is forced. Mm. For me, I mean, I, I, I grew up, I mean, the number one preset station, no offense to ESPN Radio, on, on, uh, in my car is Sirius XM 47, you know, the uh, hits. Yeah, the old school hip hop and R and B. Oh, backspin. backspin. Back, no, it's not backspin. Um, it's um, that's backspin. The no, old school. Forty-seven. Shade forty-five. No. The hits. Hip hop uh, nation. No, I'm running them down. Like <laughs> heart and soul. The girl. <laughs> <Right. over it. laughs> XM forty-seven. The fly. Oh, the okay. Fly. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, uh, you know, that, that's just the the culture you that, are. That, that I grew up in, and and that's what um, you know what makes me happy and so it just so happens that it resonates a little bit with with recruits and so uh, I think it certainly helps but I, I don't know that it's necessary or else you'd see a bunch of um, you know old guys like me trying to trying to do that and I just it, it would come off as disingenuous well since you treat your players uh, like you would your sons do you also give your sons a hydration chart <laughs> do, they, <laughs> do they get that too do you have one at home <laughs> They're not, they're not old enough just yet, okay. uh, so, but they, they probably will because I, I, I have done uh, a, an inordinate amount of research on, on the power of hydration and what it does. Uh, the biggest thing, the two biggest reasons we want our players hydrated, one is you drastically reduce the amount of soft tissue injuries. Our last season at Houston, we had zero hamstring pulls, zero in, in a whatever, 13-game season, and the brain is 80-some-odd percent water. Guess what? Concussions are a lot less 
when your brain is hydrated, when your body's hydrated. So it's maybe more, I'd be a lot smarter if I drank more. Well, water. see, there you go. I mean, it's it's uh, nature's kind of uh, elixir, if you will. And uh, I, I just I want to make sure that our guys are are doing it. And at 18 to 22, you can tell them to do it, but unless you're checking up on them all the time, then you know you got to make sure they're doing it. And at the end of the day, if you're not hydrated, you know that's why one of the things up there, hey, you're a bad teammate. Yeah, you are. How hard is it to go squirt a, 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 a water into your mouth for whatever 30 seconds that it takes to make sure that your body is in peak shape to give everything you have to, for your team? Do you think breakfast is the most important meal of the day, sir? Absolutely. Okay, so you, winter conditioning, the winners and losers of certain drills, they had two different experiences at the breakfast table. Correct. Which were? Uh, depending on which day. You know, the, the winners, uh, some days it was an omelet bar, some days it was... Uh, Fried chicken and waffles, you know, it was uh, All right. uh, some really good stuff. And, and the losers were uh, powdered, watery eggs, burnt uh, sausage, you name it. And, um, again, you know, this is a team that's lost 21 games in, in three years. And if you're not careful, losing, you become numb to losing. And losing doesn't become as awful as it, as it should be. And losing is really, really, really bad. And there are very, very tangible consequences for losing uh, on Saturdays. And we want to make sure that when we had them from January to now we're starting training camp to when we open up on September 2nd, that we teach them that losing is not okay and that you don't get numb to losing and that every time you lose, it should hurt worse than the last time you lost. Well, this interview and this conversation is an indication y'all going undefeated this year. <laughs> Exactly. I'm excited to see what you do for the Longhorns. All right, thanks, 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 guys. Hook them. Just like the good old days, ending the show sort of with doing too much. Yeah, speaking of good old days, remember that time we went to Comic Con Mm -hmm. in San Diego? I wish we could have gone this year. Look at Holly Berry chugging whiskey. That's chug, chug. Perfect. Wait, say her name again, Holly Berry. It's Holly Berry. It's Holly Berry. That's what I said, Holly Berry. Well, you said Holly Berry. What are you talking about? I said Holly Berry. It's like a pan, pam. It's, look, Mike you country. It's okay. <laughs> it's Jamie Allie. Fox. It's Holly Berry. What's your Holly Berry? Holly Berry. Holly. Holly Berry. What are we? America, is he not saying Holly? He's saying Holly. Holly Berry. We say the same. No, Holly. Not Holly. You're perfect, Holly Berry. Oh, wait, she fell? <laughs> wait, we she wait, she, she fell? She chugged some whiskey. Uh, more OJ, except this is the thing a lot of people are talking about today, is one of the commissioners for the parole board rocking a Kansas City Chiefs tie, which, unless you're Clark Hunt, I don't know why you would wear a Chiefs tie. Yeah, and it was also this funny moment involving uh, one of the other commissioners in OJ's age. We have that you are currently, well, very recently turned 90 years old. 90. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> you look great I for 90. Like like, a lot of light moments today. That's what that I was talking been, about. Yeah. Did he just Is that a statement? Like, like the AFL, Jack Kemp <laughs> days? Like, look here. Lynn Dawson for life. <laughs> right? I know you're a Bill, OJ. I remember when we used to, we want we were in Super Bowl one That's how and they, four. You know, they should have been like you know Patrick Mahomes. That's pretty good. <laughs> the Chiefs love it. Naturally, yeah, of course. All right, doing the United States two nil Gold Cup quarterfinal win over El Salvador. Jose Altador was bit and had his nipple twisted by Henry Romero. After the match, Altador said, "My girl is mad at me. She's mad at me. She's mad at Romero. She's like, only I can bite you. Only I can grab your nipples." That's a good woman. Kind of freaky. Like, why you gotta let us all in? Why you give me that look? 
You better say something inappropriate. <laughs> you totally are. You better say something nasty. I'm just saying. No I'm one on a Christian I'm woman. I'm just saying. And, uh, I know I'm you ain't sitting up there calling somebody freaky. I know you ain't Mike, doing that. Mike, I know what you talking about. Go, go, you got a brick to a glass house. I can still wear white. <laughs> Where? <laughs> Where? <laughs> to a day party. Day, let's tell the people who had a good day, Jamil. All right, it was a good day for the people of Lumpkin, Texas. That is where Des Bryant is from. He threw a massive barbecue kickball, paid 16 grand uh, to support everybody, and Pinkerton's even ran out of barbecue because of him. All right, I don't need to tell my fellow comic experts out there what this is. Secret Wars, Volume 2. Secret Wars 2, Volume 1, Number 1. We're showing it to you because it happens to be the inspiration for Marvel's college football preview. Today at Comic-Con, Maria Taylor revealed the special cover featuring the three college football national champions. That's just the first Marvel variant cover for college football in August. We'll have six more covering specific game matchups. Instead for the six, Sports Center Special on OJ Simpson. That's right now.